Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mycelfund.com. We're going to keep going here in our uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's Matthew chapter 7 still, and I'm going to cover nine verses today, which I believe is a record for me in this series. Um, <laughs> But you know, as I was getting ready for verses 15 to 23, I, I opened them up there on Wednesday or whenever it was, and I first started looking at this. And, and you, know, I'm, you know, God's got me going through some stuff right now too, and he's, he's working out uh, some things in my heart, and, and I'm learning how imperfect I am too, and how regular, and how much I need him. And then you open it up to, you know, the Sermon on the Mount to verses 15 to 23, and these are the scariest passages in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And maybe some of the scariest ones in the whole Bible. And so I'm going to read them to you now. Um, but these are the kind of verses, you know, when you're looking for encouragement, these are not the passages you come to. And I said, Lord, oh, uh, I need some encouragement this week. And you know, the amazing thing is, I want to promise you this, okay? So after I read you this, these verses, don't all run out of here screaming or, or uh, tune out. I think you will be encouraged this morning that these verses are not saying you have to work something up or be perfect for God or you're going to be in big trouble. I think you're going to find some real encouragement in this by the Holy Spirit, all right? So I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to pray and we're going to get into it. Verse 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lord Jesus, we come to you as so far from perfect and so much in needing your help and your encouragement and your love this morning. And I just pray, Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are our rock. And even when other people, you know, we get people to pray for us, but even in the end, we're alone with our problems. We sometimes feel that way, and you are our rock. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through these verses here today as well, and that you would encourage us on the narrow path as we continue to seek you and to follow you. In your name we pray, amen. So verse 15 there, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And this is right where the panic starts for some people. Oh no! You know, who are the false teachers? I get emails every once in a while, sort of this effect. You know, basically, Chris, send me the list of all the false teachers who are out there and exactly who they are so I don't get led astray to hell. Is the basic kind of thing that I thought I was following Jesus, but I was following these false teachers and I got tricked and I ended up in hell. That's almost the idea some people have in this passage. And the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus' point in, the, in this set of verses here is not, I think a lot of people have this idea that Jesus is trying to freak out his sheep. Like the good shepherd is like, I need to give them something to keep them a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to give them this little message here where they're always going to be looking over their shoulders, like, am I being deceived by a false teacher? Like, maybe I'm saying, Lord, Lord, but really on judgment day, I'm going to end up in hell. 
And the thing you have to understand is that it's not Jesus' motive in these passages. His motive is not to freak out his sheep. And so in verse 16, he says, you will recognize them. So he says, beware of the false prophets. Then in verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And the interesting thing here to me is this is not a command. It's not you sheep are too dumb and you need to study really hard because if you don't, there's some wolves that are going to come in. They're going to dress like sheep and they're going to trick you because you don't know enough. And so this isn't a command. You better study and you better not get tricked. It's not a command. It's an assurance. He says, beware of false teachers. And he says, you will recognize them. It's an assurance. You will be able to. If you're, if you're trying to, you know, if you're following Jesus the best you can, none of us is perfect. None of us is even close to perfect. We're all regular. We're all weak. We're not wholehearted. We're on this road, this journey. We're trying to be on the narrow path. He says, if you're on that narrow path in any way, shape, or form, he says, you will recognize them. It's not a command. It's an assurance by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, of course, what kind of fruit are we looking for? That's, that's, that's a key issue, right? Because a lot of people, especially when it comes to teaching and, and books and teachers, it's one of those gifts that, that it kind of, it's, the, it's one of the pizzazzy gifts that people can follow. And sometimes we're looking for the wrong fruits. A lot of times when it comes to teaching and teachers, we're looking for the wow factor. Who's the guy with the amazing... Uh, you know, speaking ability, or who makes us laugh, or who has such incredible knowledge. You just, we just feel like we learned so much when we listen to them. Not that any of those things can be bad in and of themselves, not at all, but that's kind of the fruit we're looking for, and that isn't the fruit Jesus is talking about. When he says you'll know them by their, their fruits, the first thing we have to realize is that, you know, one of the things with the Sermon on the Mount, and with our, all of our Bibles is, and you guys will have it in your Bibles, no doubt too, but they've they've put these passages into chunks. And the chunks are nice. It makes it easy for me preaching. I basically just take a chunk when I'm doing a message. And uh, they're nice for memorizing. They're nice for finding stuff. But they got them in these nice little headings, and they got a couple of verses here together, then another heading, another couple of verses here together. And so it's nice for finding stuff. It's nice for preaching. It's nice to make things tidy. But one of the problems with breaking up these, these passages into chapters and verses and chunks is that often what happens is you look at a chunk and then you go away and then you come back the next week, you look at the next chunk and it's totally divorced from what came before when in reality when it was spoken and when it was written, it was written in one continuous thread. And so you sometimes lose the context that way. And so when Jesus says, beware the false teachers, this is not its own little piece randomly. Beware, false teachers randomly going to come and get you. They're going to trick you about all kinds of things and he, this is coming directly out of verses 13 and 14 beforehand, which is what we spent all the last week on, which was, what did Jesus say? That the Christian life, you've got to walk the narrow road. And we talked the whole thing about the narrow road, the narrow path. Walking in this place of where we come into this place more and more, and we're constantly swinging back and forth because we're, we're, we're just so weak as humans. But we're, we're trying to walk in that sweet spot where we're in this place of surrender and communion with Jesus, that we love him and we're surrendered to him and we're enjoying him and we're, and we're submitted to his will for our lives. And it's so hard and we're back and forth and we're all through like we talked about last week. But it's that walking that narrow road. The Christian life is a road of I want to know and follow and obey Jesus. Very next verse, he says, beware of false teachers. So now he's not talking. So we right away go to, you know, doctrine. There's going to be false teachers that trick us in doctrine. And uh, yeah, and there will be. 
But that's not Jesus' focus. The point here isn't now he's talking about a totally new subject and you better be really smart so you don't get tricked. That's not what he, his point is. It's all coming out of this narrow road talk. He's just continuing on. And he says, the, the narrow road, you've got to walk in this place of submission and communion with me. And he says, now watch out for teachers who are going to pull you from that place of communion with Jesus. Okay? It's not about learning. Now, learning is good and doctrine is good, but it's not about learning enough it's about, there's this path of humility that we walk with Jesus where we hunger for him, we want him. Watch out for any kind of teaching and it's going to come in the name of Christianity. It's not coming looking like a wolf. It comes close to the sheep, but it'll come. There's even many Christians who will teach in such a way that they will pull you off that path of, I just want to know you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. So beware of false teachers. Those are the false teachers he's talking about. And so we get sidetracked by all kinds of stuff. Who who has the biggest ministry and who does, you know, the amazing speaker. And, oh, this man has to be a man of God because look at all the people who've gotten saved. And he has to be a man of God because, look at it, it's so fun to listen to him. He's such an amazing speaker. He's so funny. And, again, none of those things are wrong in of themselves. But I want you to see what Paul says about his teaching. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So, so the fruit we're looking for is not, I mean, it's fun, it's great if it can come in that package, but we're not looking for the packaging. He says, when I preach, I, I, I wish I could go back and listen to the podcast. I'm hoping that maybe Jesus has some in heaven. Uh, but I'd love to hear, I read this passage and I go, I, Paul, I would just love to hear how Paul spoke. Because he says, I didn't come with the flashy package. Nobody said after listening to Paul speak, wow, what an amazing preacher that was. He said, I didn't come to you with that. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear much trembling. I go, oh, I can identify with that, Paul. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when Jesus is talking about false teachers and stuff here, he, we have a propensity to look for the wrong things when we're following leaders and teachers and books and ministries. We have a tendency to look for the wrong things the flashy things, the things that grab us, the things that look like godliness. And, and, and Paul says, that's not the stuff that's godly. The stuff that's godly is in weakness and trembling, regular people speaking to us in such a way, the truth of God, so that in the end it makes us, at the end of the message, we don't just go, wow, but at the end of the message we go, I, I really want to push deeper into Jesus this week. I just want to know Jesus more. I want to walk with the Lord more. That's what we're looking for. Now, Maybe it'll be a little easier for you. I spent some time this week, and, and so discerning. So Jesus promised that we will recognize. And, and, but I thought, you know, sometimes it's easy, it's nice to just identify different kinds of fruit, of teaching. And just to put those up there, it just helps us, it just helps us refine and sharpen our discernment gifts. When Jesus says, beware of false teachers, what does that mean? It's kind of theoretical, a false teacher. What, what, what is a false teacher? What is a good teacher? What is a narrow road teacher? What is not a narrow road teacher, excuse me. And so I just made a list, and you can make many more. This is not the definitive list, but I just made a list of six different kinds of teachers, and there's many more, and you could say it in different ways and, and no doubt organize it in different ways, but I, six different kinds of teachers, and let's just try and put some flesh and bones on this idea of narrow road teachers, not narrow road teachers, false teachers, not false teachers. What does this look like? And from Paul's thing there and from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, First kind of teacher, this is the kind of teacher we should all strive to be in whatever area we teach, but this is the imperfect, mistaken teacher 
but they actually love Jesus and walk with him themselves. This should be you know, all of us who teach. Nobody's perfect. When Jesus talks about false teachers here, and I want to make sure of this, when he says, beware of false teachers, a person is not a false teacher just because they make mistakes in their life or because they make mistakes in their doctrine. The fact of the matter is, nobody is perfect. Okay, that's one of the things God's, one of the things God's working in me in this season of my life is coming to grips. You know, there's just times when, you got, when God confronts you with the fact that you can't be as good as you think you should be. And one of the things he's been confronting me with is just this idea that, Chris, you'll never have all your theology 100% correct. You'll never say it all 100% correct. It's like, oh God, I mean, if I'm preaching wrong, if I preach a doctrine wrong, or if I get a teaching wrong, or if I get a verse wrong, that's so, and he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to be perfect. Because if, if you're perfect, then the people are going to start to think you're God. I'm going to let you make mistakes. So that they rely on him instead of me. And so preaching a wrong doctrine or having something wrong, and you know, there's differences of opinion, and there's different churches they would disagree with us on certain things like the role of women in a church or end times or various things that are important topics. We believe in them strongly. We have reasons for why we believe them. But the fact of the matter is there's churches that believe differently on, than us on those things. That doesn't make them false teachers. It doesn't make us false teachers. A false teacher is not someone who gets some, a doctrine wrong. It's someone who takes you away from the narrow path. And you can have, you know, we're going to be in heaven someday, and we'll be wrong on some things. They'll be wrong on some things. We'll hug each other. As long as we're going after Jesus, even with some wrong doctrine, and of course there's some doctrines you can't be wrong about, like Jesus is God or something like that, then you are a false teacher, okay, if, if, if you're on that one. But being wrong about a doctrine doesn't make someone a false teacher. It's the narrow road. Are they seeking Jesus themselves? And as they teach and seek Jesus themselves in, a, in, a, in, 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 with, in actuality in their own life, and does their teaching lead you to do the same, it's not a false teacher, it's just an imperfect, a mistaken teacher. We're all imperfect, and we're all mistaken, and we all get some doctrines wrong, okay? So that's one kind of teacher. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about false teachers, just someone who has a disagreement with you on doctrine or is wrong about a doctrine. There's a second kind of teacher, though, looking at different kinds of fruit, teaching and teachers. Teachers who focus, you know, exclusively on doctrine but have almost no walk with God themselves. And not that it's bad to focus on doctrine. We need to teach doctrine. I have plans to, uh, at some point, preach a bunch of stuff on Romans and salvation, different things like that. It's important to teach doctrine, and we should know some of those things. But many of our churches here in the West today, you have many preachers and teachers today, it's all head. And, and people don't even realize something is wrong because they look at the content. They say, oh, yeah, it's just such good teaching because... It's just so smart, and we get so much doctrine, and now we just know, and we have it all together, and yet the place is dry as a bone. It's as dry as a bone. There's no experience of Jesus there. There's no sweet surrender, communion, bringing you into love for Jesus, but nobody even notices anything is wrong because we're looking for the fruit of, is the content right? Well, having right content is great, but all this, what, uh, the fruit that Jesus is looking for of a false teacher, a good teacher, is not the fruit of I know a bunch of things. That's not, that's not heaven. That's not salvation. Salvation is walking the narrow road, which is walking in relationship with Jesus. So if the teaching doesn't, it can have all the content in the world. I mean, the Western church today, we have more content. We have more teaching, more doctrine, more books, any other time in history, in all of Christian history. In fact, we probably have more books and teaching and materials today than all the rest of the Christian history combined. I wouldn't doubt it. 
And yet we have a church that has very little experience or of surrender to Jesus or experience of his voice or experience of his working in our midst and changing our lives and power in the spirit. Because it's not about knowledge. Knowledge is good. We can't, I'm not saying, we don't throw away knowledge. We've got to have knowledge, but it's the narrow road. The Christian life is about experiencing Jesus and walking with Jesus. And that's the kind of teaching we need to be following. That's the kind of teaching and teachers we need to be. Another kind of uh, fruit of teaching or teachers I want to be careful of, obviously, and we've talked about this one before, but teachers who lead believers into selfishness rather than surrender. And uh, these are teachers that focus on the promises and blessings of God, which is good. By the way, I love the promises and blessings of God. Like, I'm in a, like I said, I'm in a season of my life right now. God's doing some stuff in my heart. I have some ups and downs. I am pressing into the promises of God more than ever before. This morning I got up again. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I've got my prayer journal out. I've got the scriptures out, and I'm just reviewing the promises. And I love the promises. But there's a way that there's a strain of teaching where they focus on the promises and blessings of God to the exclusion of and completely ignoring surrender and submission. And what happens is when you ignore surrender and you ignore submitting to Jesus and you ignore suffering and you just focus on promises and blessing, what you have is a strain of teaching and it sounds good and it makes everybody excited and it's all from the Bible. And everybody goes, well, they, they preach the name of Jesus, so it's totally fine. Well, that's what Jesus just said in this passage. That some will say, Lord, Lord, and they missed it because it's about the narrow road. It's not about did they teach you something out of the Bible. It's not about did they teach you something that made you excited. It's about the narrow road. Did they teach and live a life in such a way that made you want to surrender in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your blessings, in the midst of good days and bad days? Did they bring you this place where everything is Jesus and I love Jesus? That's the fruit we're going for. That's the fruit we're looking for. Another kind of fruit the so-called, I mean, there's labels for all these, right? And, and again, I'm not saying that everybody who would be considered one of these strains is absolutely a false teacher. You can have some sincere people within that. But again, what's the fruit of their teaching as a whole? The so-called liberals would be teachers who lead believers. doesn't matter how good a speaker they are or an author. But teachers who lead believers to question the authority of God's word and to compromise truth. And I just every week, there's just more and more stories. I heard of a church in Saskatchewan just this past week and just compromise everywhere. Just compromise in, in, in churches and, and, and compromise on the truth of God and throwing out and they come along and they have smart sounding ideas and they write nice books about love and then they compromise what it says in here about all kinds of things, sexual immorality and marriage and abortion and different, da, 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 and they compromise the truth and that's false teaching too because the narrow path is a path of surrender to Jesus. I mean surrender to his word. It means it's all true and we love him. So that's a, that's a fruit we need to watch out for as well. And of course, there's the legalist teachers who lead believers into all kinds of extra rules and rituals and legalism. And, and these guys appeal to something inside of us. We all want to please God. And we want to be something special for God. And we want to be passionate for God. And there's a part of us in our flesh that feels like we're not doing enough for God. And then in order to please God, we've got to do something. And then along comes a teacher. And he, and he shows us a life that looks really spiritual because there's all kinds of spiritual stuff in it. And they observe this date and that date and that festival. And they don't eat this and they don't do this. And, that, and they get this, give you a whole list of extra rules. And something inside of us goes, okay, that's... I can control that. I can be spiritual by doing all this extra stuff. I can control that. It makes me feel good, at least at the beginning, but in the end, it's death. That's legalism. It's not, it's not bringing me into a place of Jesus is my life. It's bringing me in this place of I can impress Jesus and impress everybody else around me by doing all this stuff and feel good about my spirituality. 
It's not the fruit Jesus is looking for. It doesn't matter how much scripture they use or how amazing of a speaker they are. It's not life because it's not the narrow path. Then, of course, there are the cults, teachers who say that Jesus is not God, and there's all kinds of forms of that. But anyway, Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. I've just showed you some of the various fruits. We're not looking for content. We're not looking for pizzazz. We're not looking for just Bible verses or really smart. Or We're looking for the narrow path. Where are the leaders in the body and the ministries that lead me into this place where I'm experiencing Jesus and surrendering to Jesus in my pain and in my blessings? Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruit. That's the kind of fruit we want. And so in verse 17 he says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Purity, love, surrender, loving Jesus, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, putting Jesus first. That's the kind of teaching that will keep us on the narrow road. And so this brings up the next thing Jesus is going to say to us too, because these sections are all flowing out of this narrow road talk that we had last week. And so Jesus goes on to say now some of the scariest verses in the Bible, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And again, I mean, no doubt, this has got to be top two or three scariest passages in the Bible. And, and people read this passage and we have this, and, and it is, it's a sober warning. We have to pay attention to this. It's, this is Jesus speaking to us and most certainly we do need to pay attention to the fact that Jesus is warning here that just because someone talks about Jesus and calls themselves a Christian and does some stuff doesn't mean they are a Christian. But the other thing we need to realize is again here, Jesus' point a lot of people read this passage, a well-meaning sheep, and they're like, oh, because maybe that's me, right? We're all freaked out. Maybe I'm one of those people, like I, I, I say I'm a Christian, I serve Jesus, and that doesn't mean I'm a Christian. I, I call him Lord, and maybe I'll be tricked at the end too. And we have this almost picture of millions and millions of Christians on Judgment Day, well-meaning Christians, they think that they're following Jesus, and on Judgment Day, nope, and off they go to hell. And that is not Jesus' intention here. His intention here is not to scare sheep who are following him and make them uncomfortable so that they're always looking over their shoulder. He, anybody who actually is walking with Jesus, Jesus wants you to have assurance that he loves you. He does not want us to be, oh, am I, am I not, am I, am I not? So yes, sobering, you are a greedy, immoral person who has no desire to walk with God, but you prayed a prayer once and you come to church and you think now you're into heaven. Yeah, you should be warned by this. But this is not Jesus saying to the sheep, you'll never know. It could be all up for you on judgment day. You were serving me, you were calling me Lord, praying to me, listening to me, but ha, done with you. No. And so there's a couple of things here I want to encourage you with out of this passage that I think will be an encouragement to you. And the first one is this. If we look at this passage again in context, all of this is not a chunk all by itself. This is all flowing out of this same passage. Jesus talks about the narrow road. The narrow road is about following him. 
It's about submitting to him, walking with him, listening to him. Right after that, watch out for false teachers. They're going to try and lead you off that path. They're going to different ways. They'll lead it, you know, dry doctrine or, you know, selfish perspective or whatever. Different ways to pull you off the path. But there's, beware of false teachers. are going to pull you off that path of just submitting and surrendering to him. And then right out of that, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, what is he primarily talking about here? He's not talking about all of you sheep better be watching over your shoulder. He's still talking about false teachers who are trying to pull you off the path. Yes, it's a sobering reminder for all of us. Don't, don't take your Christianity for granted. Like, you can just live however you want and just be against God, but you're going to heaven anyway. Yes, it's a sobering warning. But his, the, the context here is, he just talked about false teachers, and you'll know them by their fruit. And now here he talks about what the fruit that you're looking for is not. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and has done all these great things is going to heaven. He's not talking to the sheep. He's talking about the sheep trying to discern who are the teachers, who are the false and the good ones. And so he says, just because someone's ministry is big and they talk about the name of Jesus, like, do, you, do you see the difference there? Just because someone leads a big ministry and a bunch of people get saved, like this is what happens with people. And they get into such and such teaching, or they start following so and so teacher, or get into that organizing ministry, and it's like, um, where's this thing leading you? Well, it must be to Jesus because look at all the people who've gotten saved. Well, it must be of God because a bunch of people got healed. Oh, I could tell you stories, heartbreaking stories from the last couple of years, this last year again. People, prominent, everybody said, godly man, look at all the guy, look at all the people that got saved there. Look at how amazing a speaker. Look at this huge. Thing that they built and all the people who were touched and then the whole thing just comes crashing down. People hurt, people disillusioned, people turned away from Jesus and it's like, yeah, but look at the results that were there. Yeah, there was results, but not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because they prophesied and cast out demons and won people to Christ, when the sheep are looking out, Jesus says, you got to watch out for false teachers, they're going to pull you off the narrow path. And people are like, but we, the sheep, we tend to follow results. And Jesus, that's what this passage is about. It's like, you can't just follow on results. You're looking for a different fruit than just results. Now, it's not that results are bad. I mean, obviously, we want results. See, here at Southland, you, when you do ministry, we want to rejoice for people getting saved, people's lives being changed. But as a sheep looking to follow a teacher, the fruit isn't just, is the results. The fruit, we're looking for the fruit, is it this narrow path? Is this a person who is walking in humility with Jesus, is this a person who in their real life, does their teaching match up with their life? Does their teaching match up with the whole testimony of Scripture, just certain parts? Is the fruit of their teaching just that a bunch of people get excited, or is the fruit of their teaching that a bunch of people want to surrender their lives more to Jesus? That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for, because the self, the... the the, the flesh is so deceptive. And you can have people who have amazing gifting from God and they end up serving the gifting rather than Jesus. And from the outside, the results can be amazing, but on the inside, it's hollow and it's a shell and it ends up leading many people away from that place of sweet surrender to just Jesus. And to me, this is just another plug for the local church. I just unashamedly plug away for the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 does not say he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and teachers. Like Ephesians 4.11 talks about this leadership giftings. The, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles. He, Paul does not say he gave these gifts 
to the internet and the publishing industry so that people could build huge ministry followings around the world. Somebody says. Not that there's anything wrong with writing books, and books have their place, and I love to read books, and we can be ministered to by books. But he does not say, I gave these gifts to the internet and the publishing industry and the TV so that they could get lots of followers from thousands of miles away. He said, I gave those gifts to the church. Why? Because walking the narrow path is supposed to be something we do in community. Walking the narrow path, this, this place of following Jesus, that place of sweet communion where I love him and I follow him and I listen to him, you actually can't do it on your own. You need people on the journey with you. But you don't need people from a thousand miles away where you can't even see their real life. Not that it's bad to read their books and you can be touched by some of that, but you need to be in community with people you know where the teaching gift isn't elevated up to here where there's this guy who's a million miles away and we all follow him, but where the teachers are regular people just like us right in our midst. And they're regular, and they have struggles, and we can see how they interact with their family and their kids and their, well, how they're like at a restaurant and how they, where they live and kind of how they live in that. And is this a regular person like me who's trying to follow Jesus, or is this just someone who's really gifted and I can't see their heart at all? And so we got to do this thing in community where we're in a, in a group of, of people who other regular people who are seeking after Jesus together, and together we're discerning, and together we're pushing after Jesus, and together we're helping each other as we swing on this pendulum. You know, oh, we're on the air road, and we're past, and then are bringing back, and together, and doing it all like that. That's a huge thing. That's one of the reasons why we're so big on church renewal here at Southland. Our goal in church renewal, our goal is not to get 10 million people in Canada listening to our sermons online. What an empty goal. We don't point people to our website. The goal of church renewal is we're helping pastors get a network of pastors together, supporting each other, loving each other, mentoring each other, so that they can help their churches, so that they can lead their churches properly, so that those churches can do it. Not that those people are following us, but that those people are in a community themselves trying to walk the narrow road. That's what it's all about. And I think that's encouraging here when you realize the context of this passage He's not saying to sheep, all you sheep better look over your shoulders. Just because you call me Lord doesn't mean you're a Christian. He's not saying that. He's saying, when you look to follow a leader, a teacher, just because they get results. That's not the big question. The question is, is their teaching and is their life and is the focus and heart and attitude of what they're doing trying to bring you in this place where you love Jesus more? That's the key. And I think that makes this passage a lot more encouraging. And of course, there is that sober warning there, and we should pay attention to the warning that we not be one of those wolves in sheep clothing. Well, the point is out that we're constantly questioning our salvation and fearful. And of course, then there's a second reason why this passage is actually encouraging, and that is because it shows us that salvation is not by what you do. That is good news. Oh, this passage, so many people look at this passage wrong, and I've done it many times in the past too. We look at this passage as a... As a as a scare passage, and yes, it's a warning, but it's not a scare passage. It's an encouragement passage. Imagine if, the, if Jesus had said this in a way that was flipped. Okay? And then I think you're going to see how encouraging this passage is. Imagine even this passage, instead of saying, you know, they say, look at all the stuff we did for you, and Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Imagine if they came to Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, we love you, we know you, and Jesus said, away from me, you didn't prophesy enough. You didn't build a big enough ministry. You didn't do enough stuff for me. Would that not be a scary passage? But he doesn't do that. The beauty of this passage is these false teachers come to him, ba 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 ba, look at how big the ministry is. And Jesus goes, 
didn't care about that. I never knew you. What I really, what I really care about is, did you know me? Did you walk with me? That's what he cares about. That is, should be a load off of our shoulders because many of us carry around the subconscious and I've carried this burden so often in my life and you lay it down and you pick it up and you lay it down and you pick it up and you got, it's just, your whole life is just laying this thing down. But so many of us just have this performance mentality. We have a performance mentality and we've constantly, subconsciously feel guilty that we have to do more for God and we're just so frenetic in our prayer times in our walks with God, and we just carry around this burden of, I need to do more, I need to do more. God's not happy with me. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't done enough. I've been too worldly. And that's why God doesn't love me very much. He probably isn't even listening to my prayer request this year, this month in, in prayer and fasting because I'm not doing enough for him. And what is so amazing about this passage is I just never knew. All I want is to know you. It's like, I, it's like me with my kids. I got four kids. I love having kids. Four is a good number. If you're thinking about it and you're not done yet, just keep having it, okay? Just go for it. <laughs> Once you're at four, you don't have time to be bored anymore. I don't have that problem. But anyway, you have kids. Now, do my kids do chores and do they serve around the house? Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely, my kids, they do chores, they sweep, they clean, they, they do all kinds of stuff, okay? And that's another reason to have more, Okay? Absolutely, they do chores. But is my kids doing chores, is that what makes me happy as their dad? Like, is it like, you know, tomorrow's our day off, and I'm not having breakfast with them first thing in the morning. We won't have supper together. We won't have any time together until they have first, ba 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 here's a long list of all the stuff they have to do in order to make me happy enough that I'll have supper with them and do anything fun with them. Is that how it works? I hope it doesn't work like that in your house because then you are a bad person. That's not how I am. Monday, tomorrow's our day off. You know, first thing in the morning, all I want, hey, let's have breakfast together. Sit down and breakfast. We're going to joke. I'm going to hug them. We're going to have fun. We're going to play some stuff. Yeah, there's going to be stuff we do outside. There's going to be some, you know, chores we do, whatever. But uh, the first thing I want is just to be with them. And then even when we do get to the chores, often what I want to do is I want to do it with them so we can have relationship. Like Thursday night, we had that, that, that wind and, and it blew the snow and we just have one of these hideous driveways and the way we're situated, it just, if there's a north wind, my, my driveway just drifts over. And, uh, and, but I don't say, and, you know, we, and we're helping out our neighbors right now because they're gone. And, but, you know, so Thursday night, I don't come home and say to my six-year-old son, Charlie, get out there and shovel the driveways, okay? I'll do that when he's 10, Okay. <laughs> No. I say, get out there and shovel the driveway. I'm not going to be happy with you, and you're not going to get any blessings from dad, and dad doesn't love you. No. I say, get on your ski pants. Let's go and do it together. We had a blast. Doesn't make me happy. I don't want employees. I want kids. I want a family. I don't want employees. If they just, if they got up, if I knew in the mornings, if I ever found out or heard that they were in their bedrooms in the morning having their, their devos thinking about how to please dad today, and all they were thinking is, I got to do more, I got to do more chores, he doesn't love me because I haven't done enough and I haven't been good enough, if I, I would break my heart. That would break my heart. Them sweeping the floor and mowing the lawn, that doesn't make me happy. 
when, I, when they come and sit on my lap and I give them a hug in the morning, like when I'm doing message prep early in the mornings and then they get up, one of the things they know is they can come. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. For a couple of minutes, I just drop what I'm doing. They sit on my lap and I'll just give them a big hug. How was your sleep? Give them a joke for the day. You know, because I just, that's what, that's what makes me happy is relationship. How much more, God? A hundred million times that. hundred million times that. But so many of us are just frenetic. You know, the, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I just realize how frenetic much of my life I've been in my prayer times. And many of you are like me. You're conscientious. We're conscientious. That means we want to be good. We want to be good for God. So we go into our prayer times, and I, oh, we're all frenetic. I've got to read a certain amount of the Bible, or he won't be happy. And I've got to pray with these people. He won't be, and I've got to confess. And we don't really do it like that quite. Some of you are going, holy cow, it's a nutcase. That's how we feel inside, though, yeah? I mean, someone out there is a little bit like me, I bet. He's not happy with me yet because I haven't done enough. And the, you know, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it's that the Christian life is about receiving from Him. I don't want my kids, every time they come to me, I've got to give dad, I've got to give dad, I've got to do something to make them happy, I've got to do something, I've got to say something to make them know I love them. I just want to love them. I, there's not even a question. Parents love their kids more than the kids love their parents. It's not even close. I don't have kids so I can get love out of them. I want to put love into them. And I'd give anything to just put... I would take pain from them if I could. I would just... Because I want to give to them God's heart to us. It's more about receiving. We need to spend a whole lot more time. And this passage just confirms it. It's not that we're not going to serve. It's not that we're going to stop serving. It's that the serving is going to come out of knowing. The pressure on us should not be a pressure to do. It should be a pressure to know and to receive from Him more. And when you, when you have that out of whack, that's, so they, the, some of the false teachers are going to go to Jesus and say, I did a huge ministry for you. He says, I don't care about that. You did nothing with me. I wanted you to sit on my lap. Like, just forget about doing. I just wanted you to, to sit there and let me love you. And more and more I realize the Christian life is, in order for me to do anything for God, I just need to receive. I just need to be with Him and know Him and receive grace day by day. More and more of my devotions, I just focus on God's love. We should never get bored with God's love. I just, I'm becoming more selfish in my prayer times in this sense. More and more I find myself in my prayer times saying, Lord, I feel empty again today. Would you please pour out your love and grace on me today? And I just need that. And the thing is, that's actually touching on the Father's heart. It's what He wants the relationship to be like. Then, of course, out of that, you will want to serve. And people who are filled with God's love, I had a, a moment recently where I was just anxious and stressed and felt like God... Again, because we often pick these up, and I do too. I do it all the time. You're just a subconscious burden of, I'm just really not pleasing God, and he just really, I wouldn't say it out loud. You'd never say that, but you'd just feel it. I, he doesn't really care about me. He's kind of distant. I'm not pleasing him. And he just met me in such a special way, poured his love into me, and it was for about just a few minutes in the basement. And, it, and then it, it's gone. It doesn't last forever. You try to make it come back the next day. He has his own plans. He's not tame. 
You can't just make him do whatever you want. But he just gives you these little glimpses of his love. But I just felt his love in the basement there as I was doing some work. And in those just five minutes of just experiencing his love in the room with me, after that I just said, Jesus, I want everybody to feel this love. I was just so motivated out of that. I want everybody to know how much they, you love them. And he's, yeah. If you just receive a little touch from Jesus, that'll motivate you. So then you look at some of these great Christian men and women and people like Pastor Ray and Grace Faz and stuff, and you see them just serving Jesus wholeheartedly, and you go, oh, I don't serve that hard. Okay, right. We all should be serving all out. But you don't get there by trying to serve more. You get there by going and being filled with Jesus. And out of that, he touches you. And now it's not coming out of this pressure. I got to do, I got to do. It's coming out of, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, and thank you for loving me. Apart from that, all of our doing just becomes a burden. Apart from that, all of our doing just becomes a flesh. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus that is about receiving, it's just like a child getting milk just receiving from Jesus and listening to him and being loved by him, the service you do is going to end up being out of the flesh. And it's so easy for us to do this. We take the gifts and talents that God has given us, and then we build a little empire. And we do, we, we're doing it for God, but really deep down inside, we're doing it because we, we feed off it. It gives us a sense of importance. People like us more. It makes us look spiritual. It makes us feel like we have purpose in life. And not that any of those things is really all that bad in and of itself, but really it's not about Jesus. It's about this thing. If you don't have a relationship with him where you're receiving from him, you're just trying to do for him, it's going to end up being in the flesh. It'll be a burden, and it'll be for the wrong motives. That's why some people out there are going to be surprised. The false teachers are going to be, some of them are going to be surprised because they got, God gave them huge gifting, amazing speaker, amazing prophet, amazing miracle worker. They did all this stuff. And big L leader, lots of vision. Woo, leading for the kingdom. And he thought just the fact that they had lots of vision and they were able to build a big ministry and get lots of results, everybody says, well, that must be of God. And he just says, no. It's about knowing. It's about knowing. It's about knowing. Now, again, some of you conscientious people out there, I'm trying to encourage you, and now you're getting a little freaked out again. Maybe my motives are wrong, right? See, I know you conscientious people. I'm one of you. Every message that's meant to be an encouragement becomes a discouragement because you're just examining yourself. Maybe my motives are wrong. Maybe when I was singing up there, I was singing so people would like me. Maybe when I was preaching up there, I was preaching so I could show off to people. Maybe when I was leading, I was leading. And you get all freaked out about your motives all the time. Okay? The point here is not that we freak out all the time. Maybe my motives are wrong. Let me tell you something. I can pretty much guarantee you right now, I have some impure motives as I'm preaching to you right now. Gasp. Oh. He's preaching to us with impure motives. I can pretty much guarantee you I do. Who of us here has pure, absolutely pure motives until we get resurrected? We don't get paralyzed. The point is to be paralyzed. Fact of the matter is, many of our impure motives are buried so deep, we can't even see them. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't find them. And then even if they do get revealed to us, we couldn't do anything about it unless Jesus did a work and pulled them out of us. But here's the thing. Here's what I know I can do. I can trust Jesus. If my focus is on knowing and walking with him, if my focus is on doing, my impure motives will grow and they will come to consume me and I will end up consumed by that and that kind of a thing can happen in extreme circumstances. 
But if my focus is on knowing Jesus in some weak way, Lord, I just want to know you. My, my fo- I just want to be loved by you. I can trust. And this is what I'm learning more and more. I can trust that if my focus is knowing him and being loved by him, that in his time, he'll reveal to me those places in my spirit I can't even get to my, on my own. He'll reveal to me my false motives. And then, it's never fun. Dealing with false motives, usually there's a bit of a bumpy ride. It's usually painful. It's usually not a matter of, hey, there's an impure motive. I give it to you, Lord. Woo, it's all done. No. <laughs> usually it's a matter of you're walking with the Lord, and it's a really great season, and you're blessed, and woo, I love walking with God, and then now we're going to do some work. Oh, impure motives. Now I've got to work with you, and there's going to be some pain. Oh, where's the anesthetic? <laughs> Stop, you're hurting me. But I can trust. I can trust if I'm walking with the Lord that I don't have to worry about all the motives I can't find. He's going to find them for me. That's why we have to trust in Him and walk with Him. I never knew you. It's a great encouragement. I don't have to work stuff up. I don't have to have a big ministry. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to love you. And then I'll serve, and I won't worry about all my motives, but I know you're going to work through it, and I'm going to get to know you more, and that's what it's all about. Let the doing in your life always serve the knowing. In your prayer times, focus more on just receiving from Christ, receiving love and grace and life from Him, rather than all the frenetic worry and guilt we carry with us into prayer. If you do that, you can trust that everything will turn out okay. In fact, you can even trust something else. I know some of you struggle with assurance of salvation. You're afraid often, maybe I'm on my way to hell. Can I tell you something else you can trust Jesus to do? I love my kids so much. If I would see them on a path that was taking them somewhere that would hurt them, what kind of a dad do you think I am? Would I just let them go and say, well, four-year-old Eden really should know better than to run into the path of an oncoming car, but I guess she's about to find out. Not on your life. I would be yelling, Pooch, get out of the road! That's my nickname for her is Pooch. I'll probably have to change that by the time she's 12 or 13, but... She, she actually told me, I used to call her my little pot-bellied pig, okay? And my, why am I even saying this? I know I do this message, but I'll just quickly do it now that I started, but some parenting tips. I used to call her my little pot-bellied pig. My father-in-law was horrified. He kept trying to call her princess, and she said, no, I'm a pot-bellied pig. And then, and then she came to me the one day, and she said, Daddy, I, I'm not pot-bellied pig anymore. I'm just pooch. So I just call her pooch now. I just, I love her. But, uh, if Pooch was heading for, a, for an oncoming car, I would warn her. I would run out and grab her and say, do not go there, that is dangerous. How much more Heavenly Father? Do you think our Heavenly Father wants to just quietly let you walk through your life deceived and then at the end, boom, you're going to hell? You think so? No, not on your life. He loves you too much for that. If you will in any weak way reach out your hand to the Father and say, I want to follow you. I'm imperfect. I don't even have my devos every day because I'm so messed up and I don't pray that much, but I, there's a part of me that just wants to follow you, Jesus. If you have any weak inkling of desire to follow Jesus, you can 100% trust in the fact that he would yell to you and warn you. You say, but I can't hear. I'm not good at hearing. No, no. It's Jesus' job to communicate. It's not, it's not Eden's job to be able to hear. It's my, job to be able to, it's my job to be loud enough that she will get it. You can bet your life 
100% for sure that if you have any inkling of a desire to follow Jesus, he would warn you if you were on your way to hell. He loves you too much to just shock you with that on judgment day. So, again, more reason to know him and not just do stuff for him. And some of those doers are so caught up in their motives, and that's why they will be deceived in the end. It's not that he wasn't trying to warn them. But now I want to give you a weekly challenge. And so many of you will be joining us in this three-day fast we're doing this, this weekend. And, uh, and I know hundreds of you will. Last year we did it, and this last week already many of you were, were fasting. And I want to remind you again that when we fast, we don't fast to impress God. Going without food for three days does not make God love you more. It does not impress him more. What it does is he's been trying to speak to you the whole time, tell you how much he loves you, but many of us have got so much clutter we couldn't hear it. Fasting is about us. It's not about God. Fasting is about me getting the clutter out of my life so I can receive what God wanted to give me all along. It's not that he's more happy with you. So I would encourage you this week, many of you already have big prayer requests that you're bringing to the Lord during this fast. Awesome. Keep God, there, God answers in, in response to amazing promises in Scripture. We've talked about those before. But I'd love to add, in the weekly challenge this week, I'd love to add two things that you would seek God for as you fast this week. And, uh, and just out of this message here, first one is, ask God to give you an upgrade of your revelation of who He is. So many of our problems are just caused by, we have a picture of God that's far too small. We have far too little experience of Him. Our picture of him is far too petty, far too pathetic. As you fast this, we can go without food and set aside time to be with him and, and, and don't do like Sheldon did. We can skip over that and just don't watch the TV, okay? God answered him anyway because God just loves us. But as you focus on him and pray, ask God, I want to increase my revelation of who you are. I want you. I want... Give me a bigger picture of who you are. Give me a bigger sense of how real you are. Give me a bigger sense of your power and love in my life. Ask him to upgrade your revelation of who he is. I tell you, there's like no better gift, really. And then the second thing is, ask God to open up your heart to receive more of his love. Some people just feel, we, some people, we just feel guilty to even ask him for that because we think, I gotta be asking for more spiritual stuff. I gotta be, no, 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 no. The number one thing Jesus wants to give you is love. That's the number one thing he wants you to ask him. It's the number one thing he wants to do in you. Jesus, you love me so much. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 or 4. I should just read the whole book if you want to find it. But he, uh, <laughs> I think it's Ephesians 3. But anyway, he talks about there, I pray that you would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the Father's love for you. As you fast this week, you go without food. You say, Lord, I'm not hungry because I'm trying to impress you. I'm, I'm hungry because I'm clearing some stuff out of my life so I can focus more on you. Would you open up my heart to receive more of your love? As he begins to pour his love into you, it will change your life. Change your life. Let me pray for you. One regular guy praying for another bunch of regular people who all need Jesus real bad. I'm going to sing a song to him. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do love us. I thank you for this passage of Scripture that it's about knowing you. It's not about doing a bunch of stuff. It's about knowing you. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I just pray, God, that this week as many of these people will be praying and fasting. Lord, as we set aside food and TV and various things in our lives to just open ourselves up more to you, 
Lord, I pray that you would upgrade our revelation of who you, of who you are, that you would be much bigger to us than you've been in the past, that you would be, we would see you to be a rock, we would see you to be faithful, and Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive and to begin to grasp how deep and wide and high and long is your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.